Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. want to remind you about the good folks at the store. They've got grab-and-go meals, hundreds of local products, and they are locally owned themselves. The store with two locations, 6200 South and 2050 East, or at the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. The store. Man, I could go for one of those wood-fired pizzas right now. Sounds That's, pretty good. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Yeah, the store is great. Um, you know, of course, they have the pizzas and they do that sort of thing. But, you know, all locally owned products. If, if you're into, uh, you know, smoking like a lot of folks out there, smoking meats, their butcher is just amazing. Top quality stuff. Go check them out at the store. All right. It's time for your daily assist. Let's get to it. Hit it, Austin. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Chris, how are you today, sir? I'm good, guys. How you doing? Hey, we're doing great. Swimming in basketball. We love it. Um... Let's uh, let's start out talking a little uh, broad NBA, and we'll get to the Jazz with you here in a little bit. But uh, LeBron James, unfortunately, high ankle sprain, tough news over the weekend. How does that alter things in the Western Conference with him uh, missing some time? Well, it you know for the Lakers, obviously, it's massive, and it raises the question of you know can they keep the ship right, you know, well enough or right enough to even make the playoffs. I mean, it, it might sound crazy, but they're only six games back of that number nine seed. And, you know, LeBron, you know, early indications are it'll be at least a couple of weeks, if not more, as he recovers. Uh, Anthony Davis, I, as far as I know, there's no official timetable on his return. And, you know, those kind of calf injuries you do try to be extra careful with. So it, it's going to be incumbent on this, this Laker team that, you know, isn't what their numbers say they are without those two players in the lineup. I mean, they are the number one ranked defense. We saw last night. That's not uh, what they are without Davis and LeBron. And offensively, you know, Frank Vogel's really going to have to mix and match some lineups here to to get some production. Only two guys were in double figures uh, from the starting lineup last night for the Lakers. They've got to get more production out of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see just how big a skid the Lakers go on with those top two guys down. I don't know, uh, Chris. I've always hated injuries in sports, and it, it, it's just such a big factor on everything. One injury like that, and it just punches you right in the gut. I was thinking about the injury to the ball kid with the Pelicans. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just I, 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 as rugged as the NBA is, and I know the old timers from the seventies and eighties say it's nothing compared to what it was like back then. But it's a tough sport. It's it's tough to get through a season without getting nicked. Yeah, especially with, you know, injuries that seem kind of freakish. I mean, LeBron, who has been, you know, basically an Ironman throughout his nearly two-decade career. I mean, he's played 
at least 85% of his team's games in all but two seasons in the league. Um, It's just tough to see him go down, you know, in kind of a freak play like that. And for LaMelo to have a broken wrist, I mean, that's just kind of the kind of weird things that just come up in a season. But it it does throw – I mean, look, it throws everything into flux with the Lakers – you know, all of a sudden they're just trying to hang on to a spot in the playoffs as opposed to fighting for a top three seed, you know, to pivot it to the the, uh, the Hornets. Uh, you know, they might go with the trade deadline from potential buyers to sellers. I mean, it, it changes just like that. I mean, with LaMelo done for the year, you might see the Hornets more willing to part with Devontae Graham or a Terry Rozier as they start eyeballing 2021-22 and not, you know, making the playoffs this season. Thanks, thanks for correcting me on that. I got the teams mixed up with the other ball. I got my ball, two balls in the air, they got mixed up. You're right, the <laughs> Hornets. I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Mannix with us uh, from Sports Illustrated, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So kind of taking off on uh, on that answer, Chris, who are buyers in the trade market this year? Well, Miami is definitely a buyer. They have been, I think, the most aggressive team from the rival executives that I've talked to over the last few days as they try to get their hands on veteran talent. Uh, Kyle Lowry is someone that's on their radar. Victor Oladipo with Houston is on their radar. And the Heat have shown a willingness to part with, you know, one of their young guards in Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson in the right deal. So uh, I would keep an eye on them. Boston, you, you, have to keep watching because they have that monster trade exception of $28.5 million. I know the Celtics covet Harrison Barnes. That's their top target. Uh, there's been some reporting that they like Aaron Gordon. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they like him. Will they pay the price that Orlando's looking for? That's pretty high. Uh, they are uh, two of the bigger buyers that are out there. Sellers, Houston's a seller. I don't think Oladipo makes it uh, past the deadline with the Rockets. I don't I think they know he's not long for there, and I think they're going to cut their losses uh, before Thursday afternoon. Um, and, and Toronto, because they're reeling right now, I mean, that's a team that I could see moving off. If it's not Lowry, maybe some other veteran pieces on that roster as well. Chris, do you believe the Bucks are uh, getting their stuff together? They're 9-1 and one over their last 10, and they've won six straight. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, I make of it that Drew Holiday's back in the mix. And the longer Drew Holiday gets with that team – uh, the better, um, you know, he, he was, you know, their big off season pickup, you know, in that trade with new Orleans and, you know, he missed uh three weeks to a month, whatever it was with the COVID issue, you know, getting back and getting to the rotation took him some time, but I mean, he, he's just a big part of what they do. And look, at some point, you know, I'm going to be writing about this tomorrow too. Like at some point we have to just acknowledge that Giannis might be the MVP again. Like just like his numbers are close to identical to what they were last year. And this Bucks team goes on and you know continues this run and winds up as the top seed in the Eastern Conference while Embiid is down and LeBron is down and Giannis is playing like 80 games. Uh, well, I mean, or whatever the max number of games is they wind up playing, forget 70, whatever it is that they wind up actually playing. We're going to have to discuss it. Like, it's going to have, like, you know, there are some people that say, oh, you can't win three in a row. That's rarefied air of, like, Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain, and Bill Russell. You can't really look at it like that. It's in a vacuum. Like, is he having the best season? You can make an argument that he has. I mean, any other player that was averaging 30 and 12 you know, on, a, on a really good team, you'd be talking about them as the MVP. Giannis, I think, for some reason, there's like voter fatigue with him, and he's, he's less likely to get the votes that way. But I think that you know, this Milwaukee team is not only good, but Giannis, I think, is once again 
uh, poised to, to emerge as the MVP. Chris, Ben Simmons continues to uh, campaign, saying that he's the best defensive player on the planet. He made the argument over the weekend that uh, his ability to switch one through five makes him uh, unique, which is is certainly the case. And talked about Rudy, and actually respectfully talked about Rudy's abilities, but promoted his own at the same time. Rudy uh, commented yesterday that he believes uh, it's he's the best defensive player because of overall impact on the game. And I, you know, both players had some strong arguments. But give me, give us your analysis on those two and who is the best defensive player on the planet? Well, it, it, it's apples and oranges in what they do, obviously. And it's reminiscent in a way of, I mean, I think there were a number of years that Gary Payton and Dikembe Mutombo competed for that, didn't they? Like it was, yeah. you know, two guys that were very different but dominant in their respective ways as defensive players. Um, I, look, I, I always lean towards Rudy because, and I've said this to you guys before, when I talk to scouts about Gobert, they say he's the only player whose defensive presence is basically puts him at the top of the scouting report. I mean, Ben Simmons is, is right. He is great defensively at five positions, but I don't think there's a player in the league that changes the game in the way Gobert does. If you have Ben Simmons, like you can, he can neutralize one of your players. Gobert can neutralize five, and he can neutralize what you do uh, if you are a team that is – you know, inclined to penetrate and score, try to score in the paint. He just changed the game that way. I think he continues to improve as a pick-and-roll defender, which is a big reason the Jazz have been really good at defending the three. Um, so, like, I wouldn't have a problem with a vote for either one of them for Defensive Player of the Year because they're both excellent. But for me, it's – and I think I voted for him last year, too. Like, it, it continues to be Rudy Gobert's award to lose every season. Chris, speaking of defense and with the Jazz um... – Jake and I were talking about this earlier, and Jake has been stressing that uh, the Jazz sort of undulations that they've uh, been through recently have started at the defensive end, and, yeah. and I agree I agree with him. So my question for you is, when you have a player like Rudy Gobert as your defensive anchor, what happens? What, do you, what does a team have to do in order to recapture – uh, their their defensive vibe because obviously they can play good defense. We've seen that through the first half of the season. What do you think they have to do? I mean, for me, it's it's when when I watch the Jazz in this last stretch when they've been what three and two or something since the break. You know, I, I think it's there, there's there's I don't want to call it a laziness to the way they play defense now, but it's not the same type of energy that I saw when they were on that twenty and two streak or whatever it was. Um, you know, it, look, it, Donovan Mitchell is a great player, but I don't think he's been the same defensively over this stretch. I'd say the same thing about Joe Ingles. Like, I think individually there's got to be a little bit more accountability on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, Rudy is still Rudy, and he cleans up a lot of mistakes, but you can't just expect him to be there and doing that. You have to really take it upon yourself to be uh, a top defensive player, you know, every minute you're out there on the floor. And there were times, many times during this season, that the Jazz played like that. So there's no reason to believe, as you said, that they can't get back to that. But for right now, I think it's, it's individual accountability. It's not the schemes. It's, not, it's the same thing that made them dominant the first half of the season. It's just individually, I think they took their foot off the gas a little bit defensively after the All-Star break, and they have to find a way to press that pedal once again. Well, they're going to have a tough challenge tonight. Uh, they've got the Chicago Bulls, and you know the Bulls as a as a team are better. I don't, you know, certainly haven't arrived quite yet. But uh, there's no doubt that Zach Levine has been awesome. All star campaign. He's been really, really good. And the Jazz have struggled to slow down guards. Talk about Zach and what he's figured out in his own game to take it to the next level. 
Yeah, I mean, look, he's still hyper-athletic, which is a great strength for him, but he has evolved into a complete player. I mean, he's one of the most efficient scorers in the league, and that's something that, you know, this season, like Mitchell's kind of struggled with a little bit, you know, being efficient um, on most nights. So I did have that great 42-point night where I think he was over 50%, but uh, by and large, he's had some issues there. Zach Levine, though, has been great at efficiency all season long. Uh, so that's what you got to watch out for. He's not just a volume shooter on a bad team. He's you know, a guy that picks his spots, good mid-range game, good three-point game. As I said, super athletic and can score at the rim. I mean, he's he's just a real deal. Um, I, I don't know where I'd rank him among Eastern Conference guards or NBA guards, but obviously he's up there among the top you know, five or ten as, as far as that goes as being an all-star. So uh, he's a handful, that's for sure. I think for a guy like Donovan Mitchell, he'll probably get a lot of turns on him tonight. In a way, it's, it's Donovan's chance to kind of shake off the, the – defensive malaise that's kind of enveloped this team lately. If Donovan Mitchell does a, does a good job on, on Levine in the spots that he has him, uh, I think this team could, could get another big win. Okay, so I ask you this question, Chris, at uh, great risk because Jake has already told me that it's uh, not that good of a question. I'll just <laughs> throw that out there. But let me, let me run it past you. Why is it that teams need – we were talking about Donovan Mitchell and him taking over games at the end of games – if a team is being efficient and effective through uh, through the first three quarters, why is it important to rely on a star player at the end as opposed to powering through with three or four offensive forces at one end and playing good defense at the other? No, I, I get it because, I mean, look, you're if you're a, a team that, moves the ball well and has multiple options and has success using those multiple options, why would you want to get away from it um, end of games? I don't know if there's a clear answer for that necessarily. I guess the only thing you could say is that end of game situations, um, when you absolutely have to have a bucket, you know, teams are, the opposing team is going to really play their very best defense. You're not going to get any kind of uh, possessions off you know, with, these, with, with these teams like you do get in the first three-plus quarters. And you just, you just have a lack of trust, I think, at times in anybody but that one guy. I mean, Mitchell is the guy that it has to be because he is their best individual scorer. And, look, I think you theoretically could continue to play the way you want to play, move the ball around and hope that Mike Conley makes shots, hope that Joe Ingles makes shots, hope that you know, Jordan Clarkson, if he's out there, can keep making shots. And I think you will see a lot of that still with a team like Utah. But you know, down the stretch, uh, close game, you know, in order to minimize turnovers, in order to, to make sure that you, you know, get the best shot you possibly can, it's going to wind up in the hands of your best player. And that's what makes, you know, Donovan's evolution as that type of score that much more important. Chris Mannix with us from uh, Sports Illustrated. Last thing from me, uh, Chris, I, I'm not a huge boxing guy, but lo and behold, I'm surfing the web over the weekend, and I find this viral clip of a boxer <laughs> uh, screaming the F word and flipping off the crowd, and then lo and behold, I look a little further in the clip, and there's a familiar face right there holding the microphone. What did what'd you get yourself into this weekend, Chris? Uh, those post-fight interviews that I do for DAZN, I mean – there's nothing, there's nothing quite like a post-fight interview in boxing because these guys have just been punched in the head for six, seven, eight, nine <laughs> rounds or whatever it is. And then there's me hopping in the ring asking them all about it, which I, I can't imagine is all that pleasant occurrence. What happened there was Maury Sucker, who is a Dallas native, uh, fought Virgil Ortiz in what was an excellent fight on Saturday on DAZN. And uh, Hooker uh, was in an exchange with Ortiz and broke his hand. 
uh, on the punch and, and went down and couldn't get up from it. Uh, he brought that up you know, during the post-fight interview. The crowd viewed it as kind of a cop-out since he was already losing the fight and uh, started to boo. And uh, Hooker, uh, I think he just you know, reacted <laughs> instinctively and just went to the crowd and you know, told them to bleep off. And then, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, the WWE stuck both fingers <laughs> in the air and, uh, and then walked right out of the ring. So uh, I, I would say it's not, not even my weirdest post-fight interview. I've had probably a handful more that have been more bizarre. But uh, I, I did appreciate the, the finality that Maurice Hooker gave to the interview where he just said, bleep y'all, hopped out of the ring, and uh, that was that. Have you, ever been in the, have you ever been in the ring, Chris, when a melee breaks out and uh, you've had to sort of duck and run? Um, not so not, – I mean, melees are tough because they – nowadays there's so many people in the ring that they get broken up pretty quickly. But honestly, when, when, when scuffles do break out – and sometimes, look, being honest, sometimes promoters and networks invite these things. Like if a guy wins and he's supposed to face somebody else next and that fighter's in the crowd – They'll bring that fighter in there because they want the <laughs> altercation for, you know, the visual, for the video to, to tease that next fight. And my job in those positions, not to get out of the way, is to make sure that damn microphone's between them so that the, <laughs> the, everybody picks up every word that's said. That's happened half a dozen times or more in my career. I've never been, been struck or anything like that, but, so that's, I guess, a positive. But if there's a melee going on, you better believe that you're going to see, like, my hand reaching out to keep it close to one of the participants. <laughs> Tell you what, you, you better get a bonus for those melees, Chris. <laughs> well, the, the, the great thing about these, these like the, the, the Hooker video was funny because Hooker's a tall guy, 5'10", whatever. Usually when I'm doing these interviews, it's like something out of Gulliver's Travels where I'm 6'3", and I'm like looking down at this like 5'4", lightweight, and these guys are pushing each other around. And I look like, I don't know, like the principal stepping between two kids on the playground. It's, uh, it, it's often, the optics are often pretty funny. You're like the human boom mic. Basically, basically, both these situations. Have you ever, Chris, have you ever been intimidated by a fighter? Because, I mean, these guys are trained to, to beat people up. Have you ever been intimidated in that regard? I've had fighters attempt to, um, both in the ring and outside it, uh, because, look, it's, it's part of my job as a writer, too, to, to criticize. And, and boxers, I think, have thinner skin than than other athletes in other sports. Uh, so in the ring, I've had guys kind of get in my face a little bit. Um, yeah, I never I, – I don't know what it is. Like, I never it, – like, it's almost like the thought of, like, well, if you hit me, I mean, I've, I don't think it's going to look bad on me. Like, I'll, I'll take it, and then I'll, I'll probably collect a big check from you at some point <laughs> on the line, so go, go right ahead. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've definitely had guys that have, you know, gotten my face a little bit, had a back and forth, but I like the back and forth. And being honest, like – a lot of the fighters that I've criticized, they actually appreciate the back and forth. They say something to me, and they're like, well, you said I couldn't do this, and I, and I articulate why. Like, I'm not just saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff. I have reasons for saying it, and oftentimes that leads to, to the best TV. When, and, and it comes to anything. You guys know in radio, like, I think interviews are with, with athletes are better if it gets a little adversarial at times. If you start pushing and pushing back and, and having a real conversation is, as opposed to just kind of a, uh, a stock Q&A. Well, Chris, thank you very much as always. Have a great week. You got it, guys. There's our friend Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, and also, of course, uh, covers boxing. And yeah, if you didn't see that uh, that viral <laughs> that viral video, it's really something because <laughs> you can you can see the boxer hear the booze and like the go across like you can see the thoughts go through his mind like, hey, 
hey! And then he, he kind of steps back and yells at him. I'm waiting to see Chris in the ring with like a uh, with a catcher's mask on, or you know, <laughs> with a wearing a helmet or something. That's you know, that's funny. Him talk about how much taller he is than a lot of the fighters a lot of the time. I feel can't, like the principal. Can't you see him like uh, <laughs> like uh, I've been to uh, what uh, baby blessing uh, at uh, in LDS Church, right where the the poor guy holding the microphone and oh. it looks like his arm is going to fall off. You know, and, and usually, it, <laughs> having been in that situation myself, it's the worst. Do you ever signal to the the dude doing the blessing like, "Hey, psh, let's"? I have, uh, <laughs> I have in my in my past career, I have audibly, very audibly, close to the mic, gone. <sighs> <laughs> like, hey, dude, my arm's about to fall off here. Seriously? Let's let's uh, let's get this thing in the books. We got the message. Here, we pal. got it. <laughs> All right, we will have more coming up next. We've got what's going on at the top of the five o'clock hour. It's the big show, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty, the zone. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, It looks like the... uh, Pac-12 streak will continue. Gordon, right now, uh, UCLA up on Abilene Christian, 39-21. Tough draw for the Bruins. Yeah, I'm telling you, that'll frustrate BYU fans even more, the fact that if they had won that first game, they probably would have made the Sweet 16. But uh, uh, good for UCLA. Way to rub salt in the wounds there, Gordo. Their team wasn't ready to play. I mean... BYU's players looked like they were afraid to shoot. They looked like they weren't even looking to shoot. At least, Barcelo was tough, man. The kid's tough. But uh, most of the other players looked uh, kind of freaked out. So you think much like the Longhorns, the Cougars should look for a new coach? (laughs) No. No? I don't think so. No, No, but I do think that Mark Pope should take some of the, uh, the blame for that. Well, moving on. Can't get it no, done, obviously, no, at the highest not, level. So go, go find a new guy. Now. Same no. with Utah State. <laughs> no, they're trying to hold on to their guy. Not ready, you know, not not prepared to go in the tourney. Got to go find a new guy. <laughs> no, BYU uh, was uh, probably felt fortunate to have a good enough team to get to the tournament. They just didn't play like it once they were there. Yeah, they had they had a tough game, and give UCLA credit, they played well. UCLA uh, obviously has it going again today against Abilene Christian, and they're going to move on to the to the Sweet 16, one of many Pac-12 teams apparently. After Oregon beat uh, Iowa earlier today, 95 to 80, uh, Pac-12 teams uh, yet to play. Colorado will play Florida State. Uh, game will start around 5:45, and uh, USC will take on Kansas. Uh, that's the late night game tonight. 
at 7:40. So the Pac-12 will try to keep it keep it rolling. Who's going to join the Mighty Beavs in the Sweet 16? Maybe everybody. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see. That'd be nice for the Pac-12 to have that happen after some of their showings in the past. You mean having six Sweet 16 teams would be a good showing? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, I know, you know, you talked about BYU facing a tough team. They faced an 11th seed. Who's obviously playing better than an 11th seed. Hmm. Okay. Didn't UCLA lose like four straight games near the end of the season? They did. But... I mean, I always talk about this. Gordon. I always talk about this, Gordon. The the Arizona team with Mike Bibby and Miles Simon that won the national title. They finished fifth in the Pac-10 that year. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? I'd forgotten that. So I mean, it it's it's the flaw in college basketball. I mean, to get back to something that that we talked about earlier in the show. I mean, the the tourney, for better or for worse, means too much. It takes away from the meaning from everything else. Well, I mean, that's why people love it so much. Again, for better see, or for you worse. Have to, you have to bring it every single game, and that shows me something. That, that if you're able to do that, then you've got tough players on your team who know how to win when they have to. And that, that it's if, one, if it's anything sports can teach you, it's, that, you know, it's when you win, not necessarily winning. You know, some games are more important than others. Well, that is particularly true in college basketball. But, I mean, you know, Chris Paul lost in, what, the first round when he was at Wake Forest his last year there? I mean, I don't think anybody would say Chris Paul's not a tough tough player. Well, obviously his team lacks something. Who'd they lose to? Well, I'd have to go back and and check. So I, I just think sometimes we, we just put so much emphasis on the tournament, again, for better or for worse. But, I mean, it's not necessarily about identifying the best team in the, in the country. And sometimes if you're playing well in three weeks in March, it means uh, so much more than whether you played well all season long. Right but or I wrong, they, that's a fact. I, I think, well, no, but I think they are the best because they're proving that they're the best when they, they, have, they, when they have to win, they do. At this moment in time. Right, which in is this particular in one particular game, right, and that's that's what it proves. And if you're gonna, if you mentioned Arizona, you're gonna win six games to get to that point, and you win six straight against tough opponents. Yeah, that's that's the refiner's fire, baby. But what does it prove? I mean, the the it Kentucky- proves that you're the best team because you. I mean, some game in the in, in November it's, that doesn't mean anything. Some game in March. It means that yes. you got. It means that you got hot at the right time. That's all it means. No, you got to get hot. No, I, no, give give winners more credit than that, Jake. It's more than just getting hot. It's playing with a mental fortitude that you have to have. The champions have to have. You could say the same thing about the NFL playoffs. You could say the same thing about the NFL playoffs. Thus, the two years the Giants won it recently. I don't think that they were the best team in the NFL. Jake, they neither do you. They were the best team. They're well, the they best team. The, the, that they, undefeated Patriots team that they fluked out a Super Bowl win over was a better out. team. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was they a better team it. than the they, Giants. They proved it on the field. Kind of. 
They won There's the no one way game to refute at one that. particular they time. Prove, they prove it on the field or on the court or on the diamond, whatever. Whatever the venue is, you prove how good you are when you have to win. Kinda? No, for sure. Not really. I don't think that Absolutely. that I don't think those Giants teams were better than the Patriots. Absolutely not. Well, I do because they proved it. Well, what about all the games the Giants lost that year? Well, those games didn't matter. Why'd they play? <laughs> to make money. <laughs> the Giants got hot and won. What that the first year they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, they had to win like their last three games just to get into the playoffs. And then won three road games to get to the Super Bowl. That shows a toughness. That shows a mental force. Sure, but it also shows that they sucked at times that year. (laughs) Yeah, but those games, it's it's when you win. Yeah, exactly. Getting hot at the right time. Thank you. You finally agree. It's not a matter. Finally agree with me. We're here. We've arrived. Getting hot. How do you get? How do you get hot? You get hot. You play your best whatever sport, insert sport you, here, you at know, one particular you, time. You conjure from within yourselves your conjure. whole team, yes, to be great when you have to be great. I'd agree that's with you, Gordon, you, but then that, we'd that, both be right. <laughs> that's how you prove that a team is great. At that particular time. No, Jay, come on. Give the champions more credit than that. Well, the year ah, they, they fluked out. They won. They won six tournament games in a row, but they were lucky. Yeah, but uh, Utah went to the finals back in whatever year that was, but they weren't even, the, by your logic, they weren't even the best team in their own league because they lost in the conference tournament. Well, that, I mean, maybe so, but look what they did. Well, I mean, they got hot at the right time. Exactly. <laughs> No, Jake, they conjured at the right time. Oh, excuse me. They conjured, you know. They were the best team in the regular season, but they weren't the best team in the tournament. Obviously, they weren't the best team. In the conference tournament, I'm speaking of. Well, obviously, that didn't matter because they'd already earned their entrance into the NCAA tournament, which is all that's good for anyway. And then you, if you go through to the championship game, then that's showing... Greatness. I don't even think that that was Utah's best team during that uh, run in the 90s. It was pretty good. Oh, was, yeah, absolutely. I thought the team before was better. What's it with the deep side? You don't think that team that had Keith Van Horn could possibly be better than the team that went to the finals without Keith Van Horn? I believe the second pick team, in the draft. I, I, I believe a team is great when it proves it's great on the on the field. That's what I believe. Okay. Well, I believe the year before was better. What? Because it's your opinion. Yes. Well, that's. I'll t- give me the evidence, man. I'll take the evidence. The evidence that they were able to win one more game. That they were able to do what was necessary to get as far as they got, hmm. which was to the championship game, in all the land. Okay. The very same Arizona team that won the title the year before didn't win it the next year. So they because they lost good. to Utah. So they weren't as good. On one particular day in March. <laughs> in fact, that Arizona team the second Jake, year was way better if you look at their Jake, performance if, throughout if the season. If you're not going to believe what you see in championship settings, then I don't know what you're going to believe. The you tournament why, by nature why, is fluky, why, man. Why, why even? Yeah, but it's fluky game by game, but you still have to win six straight games to, to win the championship. Isn't that what it is, six? You've got you to win a bunch of games. Uh-huh. You do. You have to get hot at the right time. Order, exactly. No, no, just, no, it's, 
What does getting hot mean? Means playing your best basketball at one specific period in when time. It's absolutely like when the Jazz won eleven so. in a row. They were the hottest team in the league it, it, for games that didn't matter. Went eleven in a row in the playoffs. What was that? Sorry, Gordon. Went eleven in a row in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Then you'll be great. Be great by or, your or twelve. Is that your four, opinion? Four, I, that's not an opinion. That that's, is an opinion. That, no, it's proving it on the court. Kind of. Jake. <laughs> oh man. Which uh which definition were you using, just curious, Gordon, for the word conjure there? To stir within. Oh, that's because it says here there's one that is implore someone to do something or call upon a spirit or ghost to appear by means of a magical ritual. So conjure that well that's that's taking the literal definition, but to conjure something isn't to whip up a spirit. <laughs> it says it's either that or implore someone to do something. So you're telling me Eli Manning's better than Tom Brady. Got it. I'm telling you that the Giants Got are it. better than the Patriots that year. No, they weren't. That's <laughs> what I'm telling Not you. Not even close. All right. We'll I think have, they had more magic. The non sports report is coming up next. Stay Ooh. tuned. 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Check this out. And now your not sports report on 975-1280 the zone. And the Zone Sports Network. And I know, 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 I know. It's a big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5. And 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us part of your day. Time for the Not Sports Report. Actually, let's get a winner first. It's time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. And correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850. And you'll win a Zone prize packets. The Chevy Strong Play of the Game brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. Only on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Uh, right now, it's time for the Not Sports Board, brought to you by the LHM Used Cars Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? Well, we're not going anywhere uh, geographically, but we are taking a story from the American Psychological Association. Oh, boy. Right. Okay. So, Jake, uh, during the pandemic period, have you had a weight change? Uh, not really. But I got to admit, I don't really weigh myself all that often. Well, if you haven't, then you're in the minority. Or uh, let me just say it this way. The American Psychological Association reports 61% of adults in the United States have experienced weight, either weight loss or weight gain unintentionally over the last year. 61%. 61%. have, uh, wait, blah, blah, blah. 42% report gaining more weight than intended, while 18% said they lost more weight than they wanted. The, according to this story, the average amount of weight gained was 29 pounds. The average amount of weight loss was 26 pounds. That sounds too high to me, but that's from the APA, so it must be true, right? I haven't examined their credentials, but sure. Um, the doctor, the doctor that was examining this stuff, he said, 
most of my patients have either been not losing weight or have been gaining weight. And every time I speak with them, they say, doctor, listen, I've been home and all I do is eat (laughs) or drink. Apparently alcohol has played a role in this as well over a very stressful period of time for a lot of people. And, you know, I mean, you hear the joke. I've heard the joke from a lot of people that they have gained the COVID-19. You know, I Austin, have you gained any weight or lost any weight over this period of time? I'm not answering that at the advice of my attorneys. <laughs> I put on a few. I'm working it off now. I, I, I don't know. It's just a change in habits. You know, what were you going to say, Jake? Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that I uh, something along the same lines you just said. I think uh, anytime you change people's routine, it has an effect on their person, right? And so maybe yeah. somebody has, uh, you know, on that uh, sweet crown burger diet every day for lunch, you know, <laughs> and then when you're at home, you're eating you know, salads or, or a more reasonable meal, right? Or maybe it is you're at home and it's more accessible. Uh, I think anytime you change somebody's routine, it's bound to have some sort of side effect, right? Yeah. I'll tell you me, who's absolutely a routine person, big time. But uh, being home more, I've been eating lunch at home more, and I don't know if it's had an effect on my weight, but it certainly has had an effect on the old pocketbook. (laughs) How so? Well, going out to eat costs more money than slapping a PB&J together at home, you know? Today I had ramen noodles. That That was like 15 cents worth of food. Do you know one pack of those ramen noodles is like 380 calories? Wait, what? The soul? 380 calories for one pack of ramen noodles. That's a small price to pay to not pay 850 for a <laughs> burger and a and fries. Yeah. And all the, they've got way more calories than 350. And by the way, I've never once dove into a heaping bowl full of ramen noodles and thought, "Mmm, healthy." <laughs> <laughs> I think when you're you're eating ramen noodles, I think you 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 know what you're getting. That's oh, not, that's mix, not real chicken in, in all, that little foil packet? Yeah, you could mix in all kinds of stuff with the, <laughs> those ramen noodles, you know? All kinds of, you know, good chicken or beef or something. You know, uh, when I have somebody shrimp. to make my lunch for me, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. But when it's just me, I just have the five minutes to boil the thing, inhale it, and get out of town. So you're saying that it saved you money? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not eating out as much saves you money. Yes, correct. But but you've uh, you've ordered out quite a bit and t- you know go through the drive through and bring it home right or bring it home whatever. Well, we have so done you, some takeout through this, but but I, I would say I that our say our that eating out you wanted, con- you wanted to support local businesses. I, I know. Yeah, you, absolutely. You, you but I I ate lunch. Uh, the point is is that I'm home at lunchtime where I didn't used to be home at lunchtime, and uh-huh. so I'm eating lunch at home as opposed to my favorite brew pub twice a week. <laughs> This is what the doctor said, okay? This is the encouraging part. Quote, I always tell my patients that you can turn the point around. I know you had a bad month. You stayed home. You quarantined. You gained some weight. But that's fine. It's not the end of the world. You can always lose it. So, anyway. Uh, I have uh, a few daughters who are very much into fitness, and they have studied food science and all that sort of thing, and they they are anti-diet. They don't like this diet culture. But I I think there are periods of time when you can 
do healthy things to be as healthy as you possibly can, as opposed to, like you said, Jay, getting on the scale and counting every single pound one way or the other. That's that over a period like we've had over the last year, that could be discouraging to uh, a lot of people. Anyway, I thought that was interesting, man. An average weight gain of 29 pounds. That seems like a lot to me, but anyway. I know you just uh, had an opinion about diets right there, but this feels like a good place to plug MD Diet that PK is always talking about. Great client of ours. Check them out. Yeah, just do it healthily. That's all. That's what they do. They do like blood an, uh, an, yeah. uh, okay. analysis or whatever. Have you heard yeah. PK talk about that? It's a science. Match it with your DNA and all that. MD Diet. Make it happen. All right, coming up next, we've got What's Going On. We'll check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.